Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Amy, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. Today is Wednesday, July 10th, and we are reading from the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous in the chapter More About Alcoholism, and we are at page 43, the first full paragraph that starts, Fred's Story Speaks. Today, uh, today's readers are Rose, Margaret, Sally, Fran, Michelle, and Sharon. The reference number from yesterday, Tuesday, July 9th, is is 4775. That's 4775. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now call on Rose to read the 12 steps, please. Good morning, Amy. This is Rose, a recovered compulsive overeater in New York. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. <clears throat> Excuse me. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, <clears throat> admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, Continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, We tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Pass. Thank you, Rose. I will now call on Margaret to read the 12 traditions, please. 
Good morning, Amy. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Margaret, recovered in South Jersey. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon our unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority. A loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are our trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. Thus, problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such would never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name would never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relation policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need to always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you when I pass. Thanks, Margaret. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our absence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous in the chapter More About Alcoholism, on page 43, on the second paragraph that starts, Fred Speaks for Itself. I will ask Sally to please start us off. Go ahead, Sally. Good morning. Good morning, Vision for You. Fred's story speaks for itself. We hope it strikes home to thousands like him. He had felt only the first nip of the ringer. Most alcoholics have to be pretty badly mangled before they really commence to solve their problems. So we've read Fred's story. I'm reminded of page um, 41, the top of 41. It was the end of a perfect day, not a cloud on the horizon. And I'm sure many can relate to this. He goes on to say, I went to my hotel and leisurely dressed for dinner, As I crossed the threshold of the dining room, the thought came to mind that it would be nice to have a couple of cocktails with dinner. That was all, nothing more. And, you know, here I see again, I'm reminded from myself, 
after five years of back-to-back, clean-as-a-whistle abstinence, that day came where my mind spoke for itself, and I thought out, I thought to myself, oh, gee, I can't really continue with this. This is just too impossible for me to be going through school and be clean as a whistle and um, to really plan that perfectly. I'm just going to have one piece of pizza today, just one. This reminds me so much of this guy with his thinking. And thus began the ringer, as it's spoken of here. Fred's story speaks for itself. We hope it strikes home to thousands like him. It certainly strikes home for me. He had felt only the first nip of the ringer. Most alcoholics have to be pretty badly mangled. The word mangled in the big book dictionary means battered, damaged by abuse. And amazingly, it's self-abuse before they really commence to solve their problems. That's all I've got. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Sally. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? This is Katie. Hello? Hello? I hear you, Katie. Okay. Amy, go ahead. Go ahead, then. Okay. Good morning. This is Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. Um, This story speaks for itself. Um, We hope it strikes home to thousands like him. You know, that's what our hope is on this line. Uh, We have, you know, over 250 people dialing in every morning. And, you know, is it so that we can be entertained? I don't think so. I think that, you know, our purpose is, to raise the bottom. If you haven't been badly mangled like Fred was, then, you know, <clears throat> stop now. You know, run to uh, the nearest um, nutritionist and get a food plan <laughs> and start working this program because the truth is if you are truly uh, a compulsive overeater, it is not going to get better on its own. And if we, if it could then go join Weight Watchers because, you know, unlike alcoholism where, you know, there's thousands of moderate ways of drinking, um, you know, you don't pay for um, clubs to join to moderate your drinking. People know that it's pretty much all or nothing. Well, it's not that way with food. We, we have all these ideas of how we can manage it. And, you know, I had to be badly mangled. I had to get rid of my thinking in order to start to recover because my thinking got me, you know, eating 24-7 and wanting to die. And when I came in here, you know, the first time, I I wasn't that bad. And when I came back the second time, I wasn't that bad, but it got that bad. And so, you know, I hope that people who are bothering to get on this line every day, are not still thinking, you know, I don't need this. Um, You know, this is a progressive disease, and it doesn't matter how long you've been abstinent or how um, much knowledge you have. You know, as Sally said, you know, that thought 
can cross your mind of just this once or I'm too busy or I don't have time for this or, um, you know, I did it for five years so I don't need to do this anymore. You know, it it doesn't work that way. And I'm just grateful that we don't have to keep reinventing ourselves. That's what this program is all about is I have stopped that vicious cycle of, you know, stopping and starting and stopping and starting. And, you know, we will learn as we progress in this uh, study that, you know, there are ways out of this seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Sorry, some technical difficulties there. Would anyone else like to share on what was read, please? This is Lola. Could I hear? I heard Lola and then someone else. Who was that, please? Lois. Lois. Monica. Oh, Lois. Okay, let's go ahead with Lois and then Monica, please. (laughs) Okay, good morning. This is Lois from Massachusetts, and, and I wanted to comment on what was read today as well as yesterday, but especially about Fred's story speaks for itself. And, um, and, and that was Lois's story as well. You know, for 30 years I went in and out and I would, I would be abstinent for a while and then, um, then I would think for some reason or other, you know, it's not that bad. Maybe I could just do this or I could have weed or I could do this or I could eat later or I could eat earlier. And, that, you know, that, that tortured me for 30 years. And I didn't know, I didn't have, I didn't have any... Any information, I didn't have any information. I didn't know how not to do that. And it wasn't until I, you know, began to listen to the big book being read and, um, and began to understand, you know, that I never had the power to stop and, and I didn't know what the solution was. So it wasn't until, you know, I, I, I made a commitment with a big book step study sponsor and went through the steps and completed the steps and was willing to um, spend the time, you know, to, you know, to consider the action required for my recovery. But for, for, but for me, it was it was a pleasure, you know, because first of all, the action brought you know such satisfying lifestyle, you know, such as he, some, they mentioned that that will be in, in 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 the future for Fred. But I also wanted to, that was very important was, you know, I thought that that would never happen to me again. And it was just, I think it was about a month ago, I shared on, I believe I shared on the line, too, that, you know, I, uh, I've been recovered for two years, and, um, and I, I loved scallops. You know, I, that, my scallops are one of my favorites, and I used to like them in a way that I don't use that, that product right now. But I, I bought these scallops, and then, you know, I, I had the idea. Suddenly, I had the idea. You know, I like, I like them breaded, you know, so, um, you know, I... I, I did. I wanted to. I wanted to buy these breadcrumbs and do this. Luckily, you know, I have received. You know, um, I have been recovered, and my thinking has been restored to sanity. And immediately, you know, I I noticed that, and I didn't carry it into some action. So, you know, recovery, recovery for me means my thinking has been restored. You know, I do not. I do not um, act on feelings like that anymore and my disease has been arrested one day at a time as I practice this program so I'm going to close with that and thank you for letting me share I pass thank you Lois go ahead Monica good morning thank you my name is Monica I am a recovered compulsive overeater 
And here we've been reading about Fred, and, and they're saying Fred's story should speak for itself. So what are they saying here about Fred with that sentence? They're telling us that Fred had a good life. Things were going well for him. He still he had he was a partner in an in an accounting firm. He was happily married. He was you know he, they're trying to say he wasn't at the bottom. He hadn't hit uh, you know a low bottom. And they're trying to get across to us. We hope it strikes home to thousands like him that you don't have to hit a low bottom. And our bottom is our bottom, whatever it might be. You know, thank God some of us get the message quicker and we don't have to continue going out and doing the research and development um, and hitting that low bottom. So they're trying to get across to us that fact. You know, you don't have to hit a low bottom. Don't compare identify. If you can identify with what's been said in this chapter so far, that you have the obsession of the mind, it's a good time to start taking action. Get a sponsor and start working the steps. And you don't have to hit bottom. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? Penny C. Leah. Uh, Penny C. And then Leah, please. Good morning, Vision, for you. It's Penny C. from Massachusetts, a recovered compulsive overreader. You know, I'm looking at this sentence, and it stands out so so blatantly to me. Most alcoholics have to be pretty badly mangled before they commence to solve their problems. Mangled, mutilated, you know, distorted, deformed, distorted, uh, you know, just um, real, really, really, really hit the the pits before there's any way they most alcoholics or most compulsive overeaters that that I have known in my experience before they commence to solve their problems. So, you know, why why aren't these obvious physical effects um, noticed? Why are they ignored by so many of uh, of us until it's until it just, you know, we can't ignore it anymore. And because that, you know, I'm in, I'm recovered, and because I can look back at my own experience, I know now that the reason that I ignored so many of the physical effects, and, and I, I'm, I have just so many people that I know, so many friends who, you know, they've had hip replacements and all kinds of, of uh, orthopedic problems and yet you know and they they might be you know grossly obese but never seem to attribute it to that well why is that and i know today it's the power of the disease it's the power of the disease to make me think um or be able to just rationalize all those effects and and so you know i've even the thing, the the one person I think of so often is, and I've mentioned her before, is a woman that was in a step study group with me for 13 months, lost her weight, was just just doing so well, and I hadn't seen her in a number of years until she appeared at a meeting one day, and uh, she had a tracheotomy tube in, 
and she was she was very very overweight again and she cried through the whole meeting and told us that the doctor said she would die she would die if she didn't stop eating and and there was nothing else he could do for her and, and indeed she did she died and and why is that she didn't get the spiritual part of the program as much as she desired it she just couldn't seem to get it and so for me this just shows that this disease of ours the compulsive overeating you know can really really mangle us i love the the very strong words that bill w uses smashed mangled you know he's not he's not being pretty about it but i know today that if i don't continue to enlarge my spiritual um, recovery, then I'll eat again. I know that. And if I'm not convinced, I better talk to someone who will help me to be convinced. With that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Penny. Go ahead, Leah. Thank you so much, Amy. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Uh, you're right, Penny C. It's not pretty. <laughs> this statement here, most alcoholics have to be pretty badly mangled battered, beaten before they really commenced to solve their problems. And, you know, that certainly was true for me. Um, it, it was not pretty. I shared, you know, on the line yesterday that the worst it got for me personally um, was, you know, nearly 100 pounds overweight, a uh, multitude of medical consequences due to that. But I also, you know, swung into other facets, uh, you know, such as, uh purging and uh, anorexia, where I was, uh, you know, close to 75 pounds and and losing my hair, uh, among other things. Um, You know, this disease continued to progress. I came into, you know, OA in 82. I I hung out in the rooms loyally for five years. Um, But that is the nature of the beast. You know, I kept testing personal control, and that's exactly what happens in this disease. You know, this is addiction. Why do we defy and delay and resist? That's the nature of addiction. It's the only disease known to man where the sufferer has absolutely no enthusiasm for recovery. (laughs) No enthusiasm for recovery. We want to keep testing personal control. I mean, if someone has cancer, if someone has AIDS, if someone is blind and can't see, if they cannot walk, they accept those conditions. But we have a mind that says we're really not a compulsive overeater. We may act like a compulsive overeater. We may look like a compulsive overeater, but we're really not a compulsive overeater. Uh, You know, for me, uh, my primary relationship all those years had been food. It was my friend. It was my comfort. It was my nemesis. It was my destroyer. It had become my mother, my father, my God, my lover, my friend, my companion, my support. And yet I continued to self-destruct with my own hand under the guise of ease and comfort. That's the story of addiction. And you may have a different story. You might have a story like Fred. You know, Fred was high bottom. Uh, Your story may be one over many decades, like mine was over a couple decades. Or it may be over many, many decades. You may function well still. 
you may function for a long period of time. Or like me, uh, the disease was very voracious, very, very fast. But sooner or later, we all end up empty. You know, that's the way I ended up. And I remember having that feeling. It says, uh, you know, be pretty badly mangled. I remember having that feeling of doom fill me and that feeling of absolute despair and absolute terror that this was never going to stop. I was on a runaway train that was not going to stop. And at the end of my career, I I knew that. (laughs) I knew that. I, and, you know, I knew I was going to die, and yet I felt like I needed a binge more than I needed anything else in this world. And that is a bad place to be because I was, I was cornered. I was cornered. I knew I was dying by my own hand, and yet I wanted a binge more than anything in the world. That's a bad place to be. Very, very painful because I knew this was not going to stop. And I remember I held myself and I cried. And in the end, that's what, we all, that's what it all comes down to. I was absolutely helpless to change anything left to my own devices. And I threw in the towel and I surrendered and I said, please help me. And with that, I passed. Thanks. Thanks, Leah. My name's Amy. I'm a compulsive overeater recovered from Maryland, and, and I'll jump in here. I, too, want to talk about this idea of being badly mangled you know, this chapter more about alcoholism, what are we really addressing? We're addressing the second and the greater aspect of the disease. We have the physical allergy, but then there is the mental obsession, this queer mental twist that we have in our minds where we have warped it and with such destructive eating that now we can't think straight and we can't think sanely when it comes to food. Again, again, we come to that first bite against all consequences that, you know, Leah was talking about and others were talking about all consequences to the contrary, and yet here we are in front of that first bite. Sometimes there's no thought at all. We have the example of Jim, you know, our low bottom, who thought the idea that whiskey in the milk was going to be okay. And then we have Fred, who didn't really have any thought whatsoever and still found himself, you know, drinking again. If we go to page uh, 34 in this same chapter, it says, this is a baffling feature of alcoholism as we know it, this utter inability to leave it alone no matter how great the necessity or the wish. We'll say it again and again. A sick mind cannot heal a sick mind. My mind was a liability when it came to compulsive overeating. My, my mind was going to find some trivial excuse some insane excuse or no excuse at all to make sure that I would be into the binging, into that first bite. I had no choice, and I had placed myself beyond human aid. And at some point, the bottom stops and you stop digging. You could be a Fred. You could be a Jim. I was a Jim, too. You know, most of us have to be pretty badly mangled. And it talks about this in step one. It says, why all this insistence that every AA must hit bottom first? The answer is that few people will sincerely try to practice the AA or OA program unless they have hit bottom. For practicing AA's remaining 11 steps means the adoptions of attitudes and actions that almost no alcoholic or compulsive overeater who is still drinking or eating can dream of taking, who wishes to rigorously be honest and tolerant, who wants to confess his faults to another and make restitution for harm done, who cares anything about a higher power, let alone meditation and prayer, Who wants to sacrifice time and energy in trying to carry AA's message to the next sufferer? No, the average alcoholic, self-centered in the extreme, doesn't care for this prospect 
unless he has to do these things in order to stay alive himself. That was me. I had to be so mangled that I knew without a shadow of a doubt that I would die if I kept eating compulsively the way I was going, the way I was purging, the way I was dealing with this disease. I could not stop. And when it came to Overeaters Anonymous, I came to understand that putting a a diet, trying to fix this disease with a diet was like trying to put a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. There's so much more to this disease than meets the mouth, folks. I was trying to fill the hole in my soul with a knife and a fork, and it wasn't working. And I was dying. I had to be that mangled. But we can stop at any level if we choose to surrender. That's what this chapter is all about. It's about step one, admitting we were powerless without a shadow of a doubt, 100%. The gig is up. We are dying of this disease or it will kill us. You know, that we had to do something or it would kill us. And with that, I'll pass. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? Yes, this is Bella. Can I share? My name is Bella and I am a compulsive overeater. Wow, thank you very much for for this meeting. And for me, I read now the sentence before they really commence to, to solve the problem. Well, you have to accept and to admit that you have a problem. I didn't. I didn't admit that I have a problem. Well, I don't have a problem. I I just cannot do the diet. And I I knew I cannot do the diet because I don't know to make the choice, the right choice. I cannot control myself. So I was busy all my life to deal with the problem that it wasn't my problem. I was, I knew that, oh, I have to be blamed. I don't do I don't do it. I can do it. And I was wasting time and energy to deal with a problem that it wasn't the right problem. And because this is, this is not the right problem, I couldn't solve it. And I found myself doing again and again diet, losing and gaining triple, and losing and gaining triple, and adding to myself other emotional problems. Till thank God a miracle came and I just came to the program and now I know that, yes, I know what is the problem. The problem is my mind and I cannot do it by myself. I need the support of God. I need the help of God. I need a different way to deal with my problem and the problem is this disease of my mind. It's nothing to do with me. I am a wonderful person. I am a wonderful attitude. I just cannot do it by myself. And this is exactly step number one, to come to to accept and to admit that we are powerless. Yes, the powerless is the problem. And only then when I reach this this point, yes, I am powerless over the food, I am powerless on the mind, then when I can be helped and to solve the problem with God's help. And thank you very much for letting me share, and by this I will pass. Thank you, Bella. Diane, go ahead, and then we'll move on. Hi, this is Diane from New Hampshire. Um, Boy, this really rings true for me, what we've been reading. And... um, uh, um, you know, like everyone has been focusing on as I cross the threshold of the dining room, 
that is so me. That was me over and over and over again, that mental twist. I could not stop eating. And I thought, you know, when that happened, the first time after I'd been absent for a while, that that was like the best idea I had in, I had in a long time. I can eat a little of this. I can eat a little of that. And before I know it, I was in a full-blown um, sugar head, couldn't, couldn't stop, couldn't stop. And a year ago, March, when I came back into the program, I had gone to an OA meeting, and when I did that, there was a recovered person there visiting in the area, and I heard all this recovery, and, and I, knew, I knew what I needed to do. So, you know, because I was mangled, like it says here, I was badly mangled. I, I, my head was so bad. I, I just couldn't, the talk and the chatter in my head, and, uh, you know, do it today, don't do it today, oh, do it on Monday, do this, do that, all the time, all the time. And so then a year ago, March, when I did decide that, you know, I had to come back to um, OA after a 14-year absence, that I I needed to find my big book. And I I had had um, um, family members live with me, and I I didn't know where anything was. And so my husband and I went down to the cellar and started looking through boxes, and I found my big book. And when I touched that big book... The thought crossed my mind that my life would change because of this book, and it has not disappointed me. Thank you very much, Chuck. Thank you, Diane. Okay, we're going to move ahead to the next paragraph. Fran, if you'd please go ahead. Good morning. This is Fran, compulsive eater. Many doctors and psychiatrists agree with our conclusions. One of these men, staff member of a world-renowned hospital, recently made this statement to some of us. What you say about the general hopelessness of the average alcoholic's plight is, in my opinion, correct. As to two of you men whose stories I have heard, there is no doubt in my mind that you are 100% hopeless apart from divine help. Had you offered yourselves as patients at this hospital, I would not have taken you if I had been able to avoid it. People like you are too heartbreaking. Though not a religious person, I have profound respect for the spiritual approach in such cases as yours. For most cases, there's virtually no other solution. And to me, that's just amazing that the scientists are agreeing to a spiritual solution, that they don't have an answer and uh, looking to a spiritual solution as the only solution to this heartbreaking disease. And I pass. Thank you, Fran. Would anyone else like to share on what was read, please? This is Kim. Go ahead, Kim. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, my fellow. My name is Kim, and I am Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. What you say about the general hopelessness of the average alcoholic's plight is, in my opinion, correct. You are 100% hopeless apart from divine help. So as we wrap up this chapter, more about alcoholism, and we're learning the true nature of our illness. Are we 100% hopeless because we have an allergy? You know, is that what the doctor is saying? You know, Dr. Silkworth treated over 50,000 alcoholics. And what he started to notice is some of these guys would have a one-time bout with alcohol, and he would explain to them, you really shouldn't be drinking alcohol. You don't handle this well. 
And they went out of the hospital and they never came back again. And then there was a certain percentage that would come in and he would explain it to them and they would come back a couple times and he would say, listen, your body does not handle alcohol well. I suggest you never drink alcohol again and they would leave the hospital and he would never see them again. But there was a certain percentage of alcoholics, the true alcoholics, that no matter how time he physically got them clean, no matter how time he got them right and explained that they cannot drink alcohol, they would come back over and over and over. So that is why they're 100% hopeless. Not because we have the allergy. That's a bad problem. But I have many allergies. I have certain allergies to foods that are not a part of my abstinence because I don't have the insanity. I don't like the reaction I get with those foods, and I simply choose not to eat them. But there are certain foods, certain ingredients, that no matter how dire the consequences, no matter how bad things are, being abstinent is so painful. It's so painful to abstain from those foods that I am destined to go back again. And that's what this chapter is talking about. This chapter is not talking about the insanity when we're in the foods. This is talking about the insanity when we're abstinent. You know, and so often we like to read these bedevilments. And I thought, oh, if only I can get out of these, the food, these bedevilments will stop. Well, I'm going to read them and I'm going to remind us it's not when we're in the food that these bedevilments are torturing us. It's when we're sober. When we're sober because being abstinent is so uncomfortable. So on page 52, we were having trouble with personal relationships when abstinent. We couldn't control our emotional natures when abstinent. We were prey to misery and depression when abstinent. We couldn't make a living when abstinent. We had a feeling of uselessness when abstinent. We were full of fear when abstinent. We were unhappy when abstinent. We couldn't seem to be real help to other people when abstinent. So what is the solution? It says here, apart from divine help. And that's why we need divine help. That's why we need a higher power because these bedevilments will plague us when abstinent. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? This is Janice. This is Sharon. Go ahead, Janice. And who is that person? Sharon. Okay, great. Janice and then Sharon. Good morning. Good morning, Susan, for you. My name is Janice. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. So many doctors and psychiatrists agree with our conclusions. This reminds me of a conversation I had just recently with someone that I know who is a very caring internist. She's, she's a physician. And she talked about a conversation that she would recently had with a bunch of other doctors, with a bunch of other doctors, family practice doctors, internists. And they, talk, they were talking about treating certain kinds of patients and not being able to offer them a solution. And she said, we, we were discussing people who suffer from problems like obesity and problems like addiction and alcoholism and problems where she said we could see there were physical consequences, more and more dire physical consequences, but we couldn't get them to do anything about it. And she said there were among these physicians this feeling of such frustration. And here we're, we're getting an example 
you know, had you offered yourself as patients at this hospital, I would not have taken you if I had been able to avoid it, for you are heartbreaking. You know, here were these physicians, caring, competent physicians, having a discussion about people like you and I. Having a discussion about people like you and I. If you are a compulsive overeater of my type, you know, there was no finding a solution with a medical doctor. And I've been to plenty of medical doctors, some of them very caring, competent physicians. And they would make suggestions to me, and they would offer their advice, and they would offer sound medical advice. But I walked out of their offices knowing, knowing that maybe I had a little bit of enthusiasm and maybe I had some big consequences, dire consequences that I was facing, but it wasn't going to last. Got to the point where I knew it wasn't going to last. And that was because I had gotten to that place where there was no help by human aid alone. Not my determination, not my self-will, not any of the things that I had tried to throw against it over and over and over again. So, of course, what I did is I offered my phone number and I offered information to her and anyone else that I might be able to help with what I had, armed with the knowledge that I have about what has the solution been. And she was well aware of 12-step programs. And and hopeful, hopeful that maybe here was a place she could begin referring patients to. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Go ahead, Sharon. Me? Yes, go Hi, ahead, can you hear me? Oh, okay, thanks. Hi, this is Sharon from Colorado, um, working on the fourth and fifth step to be recovered. And I am just so grateful. I got in a little bit late, and I was amazed. And they said there were 250 people on the line, so I just want to say welcome to everyone, and especially the newcomers and old-timers like me that... Uh, due to our stubbornness, um, due to my stubbornness, excuse me, uh, took a while to believe that I was 100% hopeless when it came to my compulsive eating. And that's what really uh, jumped off the page at me in this paragraph. Um, You know, like with Fred, he finally realized the discovery that the spiritual principles would solve all of his problems. And with me, that's my compulsive eating as well as everything else that I have been relieved from by God's grace. So when we come down to this last uh, paragraph, and it says, As to two of you men whose stories I have heard, there is no doubt in my mind that you were 100% hopeless apart from divine help. And that's the bottom line. That's the key of the whole program. And what a miracle and what a joy that is to know. Um, And so I uh, just want to say thank you to all of you who do so much service on this line um, I want to thank um, God as I understand him today that um, he can take care of any issue we have in our lives if we will accept that without him we do not, we, we can't do it. You know, half measures will avail us nothing and apart from divine help we will remain hopeless in our addiction. So with that I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sharon. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? Hello, this, this is, is Sally. Chrissy. Go ahead, Sally. Hello. 
Go ahead, Sally. Okay, thank you. It's Sally, Recovered Compulsive Overeater from South Jersey. Um, a couple of things about this paragraph that I really appreciate, and I, I see it as a real closing to um, all that we've been taught from the Jay Walker and um, from Fred and um, from the and the other gentleman here that we've been reading about. Uh, to begin with, many doctors and psychiatrists agree with our conclusions. You know, I went to my doctor in this uh, in this last ten years of um, of struggling and wandering in the desert of um, really trying trying OA, in and out of OA, back and forth. And somewhere along the line, I went to my doctor and I begged him, because I was at least 80 pounds overweight, probably closer to 100 pounds at that point. I said, please let me get that left hand surgery that everybody's getting. I mean, there's got to be a way that I can qualify for that thing. And the guy looked at me, he's very, very sweet, um, and even becoming a friend, said to me, Sally, go to Home Depot, buy some duct tape, Put it on your mouth and stop eating. I am not going to let you get that lap band. <clears throat> and so, you know, I'm very grateful that he didn't put me in for that lap band surgery because that for me was the next, you know, the next horizon of recovery. Like, this will fix me. What else can fix me? I don't know what else can fix me. Um, I, when I came to OA when, in 1982, um, I thought that OA was going to be the fix-it, and, and it did fix me in many ways. For a long time, back and forth, I was lose my weight, and I'd walk out of the rooms, and I'm good, I'm good, and I'd go back to the rooms. I had all, you know, I had gained 30 pounds, and I'd, I'd go back to the rooms, and I'd lose the weight, and never, never did I understand that there was so much more to this program, that the big book was the solution, and ultimately that, that God, my higher power, was my solution. I treated OA for 30 years like it was a phenomenal diet plan with phenomenal support from the people in the rooms. And it wasn't until a year ago that I finally got abstinent once and for all and started the steps the way the big book describes doing the steps. And it has made all the world of a difference. But please let me say, when this book talks about being mangled in that last paragraph, and it talks about being hopeless, the hopelessness, and even the first page of the first sentence talks about the seemingly hopelessness. I have to tell you that I still wake up with PTSD from my disease. Every morning, the first, very first thought that comes to my mind is, oh my gosh, what did I do yesterday? Was I abstinent? Oh, okay, I'm okay, I'm good. Okay, I'm abstinent. Every morning, even after over a year of being abstinent, and that is after having years of abstinence in this program, multiple times of having years of abstinence in the 30 years of my wandering through the desert and going in and out of Overeaters Anonymous, still to this day I have PTSD over my disease. And just to finish my story on the pizza, I just want you to know that when I made the decision after five years of back-to-back -back abstinence, to have a slice of pizza, what I thought was such a balanced decision. One slice. There's that crazy Sally, we lost you. So as I walked out of that pizzeria, I ran into, with the piece of pizza in my hand on a plate, I ran into another OA'er in the rooms that I would go to every Saturday morning. 
And when she saw me with a slice of pizza, I looked at her and I said, I'm just going to pick up flour. I can't do this anymore. It's just too hard for me to keep going with my strict food program. And she looked at me and she just said, you better get yourself to a meeting and walked away. You know, I really believed that it was a warning that I was being sent, but it was to no avail. I still took the bite. I still ate the pizza. And I proceeded to gain over 100 pounds in the next 10 years of my wanderings until I came to this phenomenal telephone line that has been for me, as I've mentioned in the past, the tent in the backyard of the last house on the block, which has really been for me the finding of the real solution, which is the big book, the steps, and ultimately walking day by day, holding hand with my higher power. Thanks for letting me share with our pets. Thank you, Sally. I think I heard one more person that wanted to share, and then we'll move on to that last paragraph. Who was that, please? Press star one to unmute. Hello, do you hear me? It's Sippy. Yes, go ahead. Hi, good morning. Thank you for your service. Good morning, everyone on the line. Um, This is a fabulous meeting. Um, To me, the hopelessness, uh, I I was amazed as I was doing the process of this program how all the doctors and all the nutritionists I went to never really mentioned that I had a disease. And then finally when I came in here, I was so excited. I have a disease. It's not my fault. And and then came this mental obsession. And I kept hearing when I had this white knuckling abstinence, I kept hearing a woman share on the line on, an, on a different uh, phone meeting, I came for the vanity and I stayed for the sanity. And I really didn't understand it because I didn't understand the mental twist till I relapsed and I realized what was going on between my ears. Something was wrong, how I was feeling all the feelings. I only learned that when I got on to A Vision for You. What Basically what I was doing is I had one foot in the grave and one foot on the ground, and it wasn't working. I, I, I was petrified. I had such anxiety even when I came into A Vision for You and I started the steps and listening to a sponsor. I, I had such anxiety about the disease that 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 was that was the obsession too. I, I I was I was fearful between between the meals, although I was staying abstinent and starting to work the steps. And now, thank God, I'm in a place where I have the spiritual experience, and I'm getting closer and closer to my higher power. And I know he is everything, God is everything, and everything is God, although I'm still not completely done with the steps. So whoever's on the line here, it's, it's, it is the serenity and the freedom that everyone talks about. And um, although I don't need this program anymore for the vanity, the sanity is so much better. And thank you for letting me share. Have a great day. Thank you. Okay, so we're going to move on. And Michelle, if you could please read that last paragraph. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Michelle H., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Missouri. Once more, the alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first drink, except in a few rare cases. 
Neither he nor any other human being can provide such a defense. His defense must come from a higher power. So uh, we're wrapping up with the last paragraph in chapter about more about alcoholism, which is about the mental obsession. And um, so once more, the author says, once more, um, because how many times throughout this chapter have we been told that at certain times I have no mental defense against the first drink? Um, many times told that I you know, have lost uh, the power of control and that um, the thought that comes that proceeds where I have no, no thought of the consequences is, is called insanity. And, um, and then with um, hardly any exception, absolutely we will be unable absolutely unable to stop drinking on the basis of self-knowledge. On and on, talks about the subtle insanity which precedes the first drink and how I made no fight whatever against that first drink and no thought of the consequences. And um, finally seeing that willpower and self-knowledge would not help in that strange mental blank spot. So once more, summing up, here's the problem. And once again, the solution, my defense must come from a higher power. So I ask myself now the question, do I believe that at certain times I have no mental defense against the first drink? You know, I'm willing to accept that. Do I believe it now after having read through this chapter, after having heard the stories of um, the authors um, and these recovered people, both in the book and on the line, do I believe now that at certain times I have no effective mental defense against the first drink? If I do... Um, do I believe now that I that I have a spiritual malady and the solution is spiritual and that truly my defense must come from a higher power? Um, my defense, my thinking, which in review is my willpower and self-knowledge, did not help me. Um, I admit that today. It did not. And um, so the other defenses I've tried did not help either. All those human resources failed me, uh, the diets the diet books, the self-help books, my food plan, my length of time and program, as others have mentioned, the number of meetings I attend, no, no defense, the time I've been abstinent. Um, none of these provide me the power or the defense against that mental obsession. And I am powerless. That is my problem against this um, <clears throat> blank mental spot. And I need a power. Um, I need a power greater than myself. And um, so I'm at that point now, it's into the story, do I believe that I am a real compulsive overeater? And if I believe that, do I believe that the solution is and must be a defense from a higher power? And on reflection, you know, I, I, um, I ask myself that question each day. I identify in, you know, Michelle, do you believe today that you're a real compulsive overeater? Each time I make that connection and, and spend that time in prayer and meditation and connect with that power, um, am I believing that? Yes, yes. Today I believe that the only defense I have against that mental blank spot is a power greater than myself. And so how did I, how did I find that connection? How did I um, get that God consciousness? Well, uh, fortunate for me and, and for all of us, um, this chapter, the rest of this book, the rest of these chapters are going to outline just that. It's, it's the 12 steps. It's the action steps. Making, you know, I'm going to make that decision. I'm going to learn about making that decision um, in the next few chapters. 
um, of learning of, yes, I am going to turn my will and my life over to a power greater than myself. Um, but first, once more, here's the problem, and once again, here's the solution uh, that has helped me um, to become a recovered compulsive overeater today, for which I'm grateful. And with that, um, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Michelle. We're going to take a couple of minutes for some more shares here. We might run a few minutes over, but I'd like to wrap up this chapter with a bang. Would anyone else Hi, like to share? It's Leah. Hi, this is Julie. Go ahead, Leah. Yes, hi. Thank you, Amy. It says once more, the alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first drink, except Wait, we lost you. Yeah, we lost you, Leah. Are you back? Star one? Try unmute and mute again. Can you hear me now? I can. Okay, great. Uh, certainly at the end of this chapter, you know, <laughs> the big book is uh, shutting the door on me. It's slamming the door right on my face that if I don't find a power uh, greater than myself, um, I'm going to go back. You know, I'm going to go back. I'm going to pick up uh, that first compulsive bite because my problem is that I have a mind that tells me to go back to eat those substances even though I've been away from them, and that is the mental obsession. My journey as a compulsive overeater was going to take me to two places, <laughs> either to continued suffering, disaster, and eventual death, or to freedom. You know, there is no door number three. I kept searching for door number three, but the big book is making it very, very clear here that I was never going to be totally free until I totally yielded myself to God. I was going to be doomed to a compulsive overeater's death. And it is really uh, reinforcing here, it says once more, the alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first drink. The big book has done a marvelous job by giving me a variety of examples of people who could not heal a sick mind with a sick mind. I mean, it gave me the example of Bill and his very detailed account into the madness and mayhem of, of alcoholism. It told me about Roland Hazard, who spent over a year with the world-renowned Dr. Carl Jung trying to understand the workings of his mind. That didn't work. It gave me the story of Jim, you know, who had a bright idea suddenly cross his mind that maybe a little whiskey in his milk wouldn't hurt him. You know, <laughs> he uh, sensed it wasn't too smart, but he did it anyway. And then, of course, the jaywalker kept walking in front of every vehicle that you know, passed by. Uh, Fred's story, here he was, a high-bottom drinker. He didn't think at all about it. Um, you know, he can't stay sober on self-knowledge, can't stay sober on willpower, can't stay sober on determination, can't stay sober on human creation, can't stay sober on inner strength. None of those is enough. None of those is enough. As human beings, we can't restore our sanity on our own. We need the help of a higher power, a power greater than ourselves, and that is the whole purpose of the steps. What the steps do are take away the mental obsession and substitute for that mental obsession a spiritual awakening, a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery, a sense of harmony with the universe, and a sense of unity with life. 
And that allows us to become sane again. And we no longer have that mental obsession that says to us, you know what, you can pick it up. It really doesn't matter. So step one, what's the problem? Lack of power, that's our dilemma. And that's exactly why we need to, uh, you know, to implement these steps. The steps open up a channel to that power so that we can have that proper and full impact on our heart. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Actually, I think that is a great note to end on. I'd like to thank everyone who has shared, our readers, Rose, Margaret, Sally, Fran, Michelle, Sharon. Um, I'd like, Sharon, if you could please close with the reading from A Vision for You. Absolutely. This is Sharon R.S., Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We suggest we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.